90-year-old retired dairy farmer Tony Bergen is a well-known inventor based in South County Offaly. And since COVID-19 restrictions came into force, he has been cocooning at home. But now, every evening after his tea, he calls his new friend from the fields for his supper. He called me. Yeah, he called me. Named after the virus that forged their relationship, Tony now feeds this wild fox daily, and the relationship has developed to the point that the fox feeds from Tony's knees. I, I get great enjoyment out of this thing. I'd be looking forward to every evening. It's fascinating to study him. I, I, I'm thrilled to be that it did happen. Ma, ma. Near Shannon Harbour, farmer Martin Guinan is raising two orphaned fox cubs. He has been feeding them three times daily for the past two months. Hello. Hello. People have kind of slowed down. They've kind of returned more to the country, you know, within their own distance, the 2 km's or the 5 km's. And they've noticed nature more. They have more time. Where before, where before maybe I wouldn't have time even to notice them or know they were here or even time to come down and feed them. It's not known how many foxes there are in Ireland, but their numbers are estimated to be in the region of 200,000. They're Ireland's only wild dog. And as opportunistic hunters, they will quickly adapt to any new source of food. Now, that report from Tommaso Manin from RTE News on Rural Foxes appears to be in line with new research from the University of Hull, which says red foxes are one of the most widespread carnivores on the planet. However, despite frequent stories, images and videos portraying them as pests in urban areas due to their exploitation of food-related objects, and they give examples, raiding the contents of outdoor bins, it is unknown whether they are bolder and more innovative in terms of their likelihood of exploiting these resources compared to rural populations. We're joined now by animal behaviourist Blake Morton from the Department of Psychology at the University of Hull who led the research. Blake, you say that urban foxes are bolder but not necessarily cleverer than their rural cousins. (laughs) <laughs> yes. So there are many ways of looking at, um, you know, how clever an animal is. Our particular way was was informed based on uh, the impact we believe urbanization is having on wildlife. Wildlife are exposed to a lot of novel objects, so like food-related containers and things that, you know, you find in trash or thrown on streets and so forth. Um, and so we wanted to find out whether or not these were basically glorified puzzles for, for wildlife. And we used urban foxes as an example because they're, they're basically a flagship for um, urban green space. And what we found was that they were indeed a little bit bolder within cities um, in terms of their willingness to approach these these kind of strange looking objects. Uh, but they weren't really willing to to stay and persist long enough to try and access them. We found more often that they they would quit and move on to something else, which was quite interesting. So so I would clarify by saying that they they probably are quite intelligent, um, but they don't necessarily use it um, for all contexts. Blake, um, the experiments that you're doing or that you have been doing on these foxes, do you think that, it, that urban foxes, because there's a wider variety of food available, but also it's more ephemeral perhaps, do they have to be more resourceful or more adaptable when it comes to trying to exploit those food sources? We suspect that one of the reasons why they may not be motivated to uh, problem solve in this particular way is because in cities there's so much free food available 
um, whether it's people, you know, discarding trash in the street um, or, you know, you go up to the high street and uh, you'll see people throwing their chippies all, all over the place. Um, uh, animals, of course, like people love an easier alternative. They don't like to put effort in something unless they have to. So we suspect that's the case here, um, that uh, if they, you know, persist long enough, they probably are perfectly capable of solving them. And indeed, we did find that foxes could solve the puzzles. Um, they just, I think, had maybe a motivation to do so. Whether it's due to food, though, specifically, we need the evidence for that. So that's what my team is currently looking at um, in more detail. When you're doing these experiments, do you have to take care to make sure that the the, the scent of, of human beings is minimized? Because I'm, I'm just surmising that foxes that live in urban environments eating food that's been discarded by humans or they're living in our, in our gardens and coming up our driveways, they're probably quite habituated to the scent of humans. And although they may not let, let us get right up close to them and touch them, they'll often walk very close. They don't seem to mind. Whereas I'm surmising again, maybe I'm completely wrong, that foxes in more rural areas won't be so habituated to human scent. Would they be put off from maybe approaching some of these, these food sources that you're testing? them with? We tested that because we, with our puzzles, we would spray half of them with deodorizer. Um, and, and while it's really hard to get rid of smell entirely, you can at least reduce it um, using this spray. And we found no impact of that on Fox's behavior. We suspect that, though, you know, within cities, uh, just they're kind of a protective veil from risks associated with with um, uh, getting killed out in the wild. So, you know, of course, humans in cities are quite tolerant of urban wildlife uh, relative to out in the countryside. Um, so there is probably some sort of factor going on there in terms of their proximity and habituation to people. Um, but we, we don't suspect that that actually re- really um, the smell of people on these puzzles didn't seem to have an impact uh, necessarily. This urbanisation phenomenon with foxes, it's something that I've been familiar with ever since I was a small child here in Ireland. I know across Britain it's a very common phenomenon as well. When I've spoken to friends in places like France and Germany, though, they still tend to think of foxes as these very hard to see, very, very wild animals. And they actually would panic when they see them coming into a city because they think almost like it's like a wolf or something's going to hurt them. Are we seeing increased urbanisation of foxes elsewhere in their massive range? Because I've, I've seen foxes all across Europe, across Asia, across North America, the same species, red fox. And when I was living for a while in upstate New York, although I would see red foxes, I didn't associate them coming into urban areas or going through through the trash cans. I'd associate raccoons maybe doing that. And maybe you'd even see in some parts of the, the state, you see coyotes sometimes doing that, but not the red fox. So that's the million pound question, actually, that we're trying to answer. Outside of the United Kingdom and, and Ireland, you don't really get urban foxes behaving in the way that we see here. Um, if you go, t- say, to Paris and ask people if they've ever seen an urban fox, they'll look at you like you're crazy. And it's the same in the United States. Um, y- you do indeed see them, but their visibility is is very different um, in the British Isles for reasons we don't yet understand fully. Um, again, you do get them in other parts um, of the world, in cities uh, like in Estonia. Um, you, there's some studies coming out um, showing uh, uh, an urban impact there uh, or like in Zurich and Switzerland. So it's it's happening. But uh, for whatever reason, there's something special about the way foxes are thriving within uh, cities here. I suspect it has something to do with, uh, well, a combination of factors, one of which is, is that in the British Isles, the culture is is largely um, uh, in terms of developing cities where you have lovely little gardens, and that's an opportunity for wildlife to thrive. Um, you don't necessarily get that in other um, parts of the world. 
Um, so that's one reason. Another reason we suspect is that um, people uh, in the British Isles are really, they're, you know, they're, they, they love nature um, and they actively encourage them to their gardens. And while in some respects that is wonderful because it's great for people to connect and it has really important health benefits for being connected to nature. Um, but on the other hand, we have to be incredibly mindful that they're not pets and that we have to always respect them for what they are and not for what we want them to be. And so I think that there's probably something going on there in that regard where maybe we've got large scale uh, provisioning and leaving out free food for wildlife. And that's just kind of encouraging them uh, to approach us in ways that a wild animal probably uh, normally wouldn't do. Yes, I think that's a very important point there, Blake. I think that um, a lot of people, because we're used to maybe feeding birds in our gardens and, and you know, there's no real adverse consequence for that, the birds aren't aware that humans are putting food out for them. Whereas the foxes can be, um, and it's never a really very good idea when a wild animal, particularly a wild carnivore, learns to associate humans with food. And this can lead to conflict. Um, I've been seeing, particularly in places like London, there seems to be a growing concern among people that these foxes are somehow becoming dangerous. I know there's the, the occasional story of them getting into people's houses or hurting somebody and that of course makes all the media headlines that's only a, a tiny tiny proportion of, the, of foxes an infinitesimally small percentage that would be involved in that most still do have a healthy fear of humans but is it important that foxes and, and humans do keep their distance from each other and is this increasing urbanisation that we're seeing all over the globe is that going to lead to more conflict what, what do you think Blake? So th- that's also those are really good points um, I, I I think that you know London is in, in the south of England is, is quite a, a, a an, an area of special interest to us. Um, uh, we see foxes behaving in ways that we don't see um, in, in other parts of uh, Great Britain, where our study has been taking place. And the question is why? Uh, of course, obviously, London is the biggest city on Great Britain, so it, that could very well be the, the explanation. There's something going on about you know, or within that big city. Um, but you know, we also have other big cities like Edinburgh and Glasgow, uh, Glasgow with like a million people. So that's, that's you know, there's something else we think going on that's unique to the south of, of the island uh, that we're, we're exploring. I would also say, you know, an answer to your kind of question is, of course, foxes are, are ecologically and culturally important. So by no means um, should any of this kind of work be taken out of context to say that foxes don't belong within cities. They're very much a part of urban green space and they're so important, uh, not just from ecological uh, standpoints, but also, again, from that cultural standpoint, they're iconic um, and intrinsically entwined within human culture. And so it's really important that we share that positive connection with them. So I would say that this research really shows that while that they are indeed getting bolder within cities. Rather than promoting pest control, we should promote coexistence uh, because they belong there just as much as we do. I think that stereotypically in, 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 in pop culture, we, we classify uh, foxes as a, as a carnivore, as a predator, but they're incredibly shy animals. Um, and, and it's only when you, you know, actively encourage them to be right around you that that increases opportunities for conflict. So, so foxes don't really want to seek us out unless you have a, a bowl of chicken or something for them. So I would say it's, it's important that we remember that these aren't pets, that they're, they should be appreciated for what they are and not what we want them to be. And like I said, stereotypically with, with this idea of a, of a um, urban pest for the fox, what we find is that 
bin raiding behavior and raiding trash and scavenging through streets and stuff like that is indeed something that urban foxes do. But our research actually suggests that they don't seem to do it as often as people think. So that's fascinating from our perspective because we're psychologists and we're looking at that psychological connection between humans and nature. And we think that in some respects, what we think foxes do isn't always mapped on reality, uh, and which is an area that we're moving into uh, research-wise. I think that to a large extent, these notions of bin raiding foxes stems from uh, specific populations, which might say, you know, like people in the United States wouldn't, would not, would not understand that foxes in London are raiding bins, bins because they have raccoons doing that. Uh, foxes in the United States don't do that. So our, our point with this, with this research is to show that animals are very nuanced in their behavior. And so if you have a conflict with an animal, there's something going on in the life of that specific animal that's driving its behavior. Just because you're an urban fox does not mean you're going to necessarily behave bold and also does not mean you're necessarily going to raid someone's bin. Blake, if the red fox had feathers, it would be a red kite. Now, in the cities in this part of the world, back in the Middle Ages, kites were all over the place, scavenging and cashing in on all the offal and filth that was laid everywhere. What happened with the fox? The fox didn't seem to do that back in those days. It seemed that sometime in the middle of the 20th century, the 20th century fox suddenly decided to become an urbanite or did it. Now, what triggered that? That's actually really fascinating. I would love to have a time machine to go back in time to figure that out um, because we, we actually just don't know. Um, there's no hardcore evidence for this. And I know that we have public records for when, when foxes started to be reported. Um, but I think that foxes have had a long history living within our, our urban spaces or you know our, our towns um, before, before they became highly developed. Um, when we rely on what people say they've observed, in some ways that can be true, but we also, of course, think within our own lives that often can't be true or isn't necessarily true. So I would say without the actual evidence, I don't know if indeed this rise in, in foxes colonizing our cities is something that's happened in, in the 20th century. What I would say is that it probably has become more visible, um, and that's probably stemming from the, the fact foxes are becoming a bit bolder. So they're, um, like in London, for instance, they've, they've said for a long time, um, city managers, that fox populations in London are at carrying capacity. Um, and this idea that foxes are becoming more abundant in the city is actually just stemming from the fact that they're becoming more visible because of their boldness. Have they been driven out as refugees from the countryside? As the countryside becomes less and less suitable for a wild creature at all, they had were forced to move to the city. But now the city is a funny place. It's not one thing. It's a whole patchwork of habitats. Is there a concentration within cities for foxes to go to the suburbs, the inner city, waste sites, industrial sites? Is there some kind of bias? Do they do better in some of these it would seem odd that they would gravitate towards the leafy suburbs, for instance, because there's no filth or offal for them to scavenge on in there. There'd be no dead animals or whatever. Uh, is there a division within the urban environment? 
so I would say the suburbs are, are perfect areas for, for foxes to thrive because of that, that um, leafy green garden um, landscape that you get with people's homes. Um, and that is something that we think is a characteristic of, of the UK and how we structure our cities here. It's just opportunities for foxes to, to thrive. And that is one of the, the reasons why people um, suspect that at the t- turn of the century, um, well, actually around, around the 1930s, uh, foxes became more prevalent because homes were being built with those little gardens, um, which allowed greater occupancy for foxes. There are rural urban minglings, as it were. Uh, they're not necessarily cut off from each other. I, we don't really know necessarily for London specifically. Um, uh, there is flow though probably going on there. And if you look at maps of cities, um, uh, uh, at least within the UK, um, we see there's lots of lovely green space even in cities. So that allows for wildlife to thrive. So it's really important that we try to protect that because of course humans have a long history of trying to remove ourselves from nature. Um, and so uh, we want those trees, we want the plants, we want the green spaces to be uh, protected so that we can encourage as best we can wildlife to behave normal. So to sum up, is the urban fox bolder but not necessarily cleverer than its rural cousin? We had two conclusions. The first conclusion was that um, as as we suspect, urban foxes are indeed getting bolder. But contrary to our, our hypothesis, they weren't necessarily more willing to problem solve in this way. And that's contrary to what we think of as a cliche urban fox that raids your bend and tries to take those, those opportunities. There's much more nuance going on there that we don't yet fully understand. And so again, just because you're an urban fox doesn't necessarily you'll behave bold. Um, and it also doesn't necessarily mean you'll use your problem-solving abilities to uh, engage in things that might lead to conflict with people, for instance, uh, raiding your bin. Foxes, of course, do indeed do that, but they don't always do that. And so if you have an animal that is a source of conflict for you, there's something again going on within the, the, the life of that animal that's driving that. And so just being mindful of, of how to interact with that uh, uh, foxes is really crucial. Again, we're, we're promoting coexistence here. And so uh, urban residents, people need to learn how to uh, live alongside the wildlife because the urban wildlife are our last connection to the natural world in cities. And so we want to protect that. Blake, thank you very much indeed. Oh, of course. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Any excuse to talk about foxes is, you know, nicer than the, the, the work I have to do when I get off the phone. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll bet. Anyway, thanks again.